Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we put the world of motoring and transport under the microscope. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we have news stories, including a world-first study that tests the combined effects of distraction and fatigue on drivers. We have two interviews on the lessons we should be learning from the coronavirus epidemic, what measures we should take to reduce the risk on public transport, and does this catastrophe show the limitations of private ownership? And we have some quirky news where Brian Smith and I discuss what sort of cars do angry men drive. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's get the program going first with the news. Using Australia's first truck simulator, Monash University researchers conducted tests on 74 truck drivers under different conditions. The drivers were sleep-deprived and then intentionally distracted during driver simulation for two hours. Researchers recorded 29 crashes in the simulator, with 72% in fatigue condition and 28% of the crashes while drivers were alert. Drivers were twice as likely to crash when fatigued, but 11 times more likely to crash when fatigue and distraction were both present. Researchers were also able to accurately detect a driver's level of fatigue while the driver's eyes were still open in real time and before a safety-critical event, such as a microsleep, occurs. Researchers from Samsung have presented the results of a study on high-performance, long-lasting, all-solid-state batteries to Nature Energy, one of the world's leading scientific journals. The batteries have a larger capacity, a longer cycle life, and enhanced overall safety. The prototype pouch cell would enable an electric vehicle to travel up to 800 kilometres on a single charge with a life cycle of over 1,000 charges. That means your vehicle could travel 800,000 kilometres with little battery degradation. It has also meant that the prototype is approximately 50% smaller by volume than a conventional lithium-ion battery. A solid-state battery, as the name suggests, uses solid electrodes and electrolyte instead of the liquid or polymer gel electrolytes found in lithium-ion or lithium-polymer batteries. When Apollo 13 had its mishap, the engineers on the ground had to apply their skills to get a very quick solution. The motor industry thinks it has skills that can help the coronavirus situation. They can't produce a vaccine, but can help expedite the building of respirators for those who have caught the virus and are having difficulty breathing. General Motors is offering its logistics, purchasing and manufacturing expertise to help Ventec Life Systems build more of its ventilators. Some Formula One teams have offered to use their skills in rapid development in a similar way, while Ferrari is to contribute help in providing machinery needed for intensive care, such as fans and respirators. Whether you get your food or other needs from a shop or home delivered, 
you are relying on the freight industry. Measures are now being considered as to how to protect this industry, especially the drivers, from the coronavirus epidemic. In the UK, they have suspended all driving tests for three months to avoid personal interaction. The Australian Trucking Association wants an increase in the asset write-off, a 12-month guarantee for equipment loan repayments and setting the road user charge to zero. Removing tolls on the soon-to-be-open new motorway in Sydney is also being requested. There is also a push to allow trucks to deliver to loading bays at night. Car insurance has traditionally been strongly based on where you live, your age and your crash history, but now some insurers are looking at the specific safety features you have on your vehicle. Some companies will give you a discount if you have anti-lock brakes, daytime running lights or airbags. If you contribute these features, the savings can be significant. But to counter this, detection devices to operate things such as lane departure warning and adaptive cruise control means expensive equipment can be located at the front of your vehicle, often in the grille. A small crash can mean a large amount of digital equipment damage. Allowing insurers to monitor when, where and how you drive is also starting to be used. And that has been the news. In regard to the uh, coronavirus, we are being constantly told that we should do things as individuals. And that is, of course, absolutely right. We must be totally committed to limiting travel and washing hands and so on. But some people will still have to travel. Is there still a role for public transport? And if so, what are or should the service providers be doing? Yao Wong is from the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at Sydney University. We have had him on the program before. He has been looking at this situation around the world. Yao, thanks very much for your time. Good to be with you, David. Now, has China shut down all or, or most of its public transport? Not at all. On the issue of public transport shutdown, I mean, we saw an article in the age of the weekend that was uh, had some experts advocating for what we should not be doing is shutting down public transport. We should be shutting down society. We should not be shutting down public transport. And in China, even at the highest point of the outbreak, China public transport was not shut down across the country. The only places where public transport was fully shut down was right in the epicenter in Wuhan and some of the uh, surrounding commuter belt cities. You talked about keeping your social space. I notice one transport planner or planner has said, can we please refer to it as spatial distances? Social distance sounds very prohibitive and, and negative. Physical, I think. Yes. Physical distancing, not social. How can we get people to give that space on public transport? Firstly, you need to discourage people to travel. But in public transport specifically, look, in China, um, the the directive in a lot of uh, cities is one person per seat inside a bus, 50% capacity, and it's enforced via CCTV in, in real time, for instance. I like the idea of thinking about design of vehicles. Now, given that we can now pay for a bus trip by a card, there's no need to go past the front driver that he's not having to deliver money. You're right. I mean, I, I think some of, the, some of it is still, um, is still a customer service issue in case. Uh, it, it's nice to have that human touch, I suppose. You have a wave or a nod on, on, on the way into the vehicle. On the vehicle design front, 
I think I think at the end of all of this, I I, I think it's very likely we'll see um, that are linked to um, what has occurred in the coronavirus outbreak. We've seen in research from the states just in the past week about how uh, the virus lingers on various different surfaces, like in the air, it's about three hours on things like stainless steel or plastic. I think it can be two to three days. And you know, our buses, the kind of um, grab rails, the handrails, they're all bare stainless steel because they're easy to clean. Whereas in a lot of, you know, in places like Hong Kong, they're, they're not bare stainless steel. They're all um, covered in some sort of uh, ripped material. I don't know if, if that can be linked to, um, if, if that's linked to sanitary um, um, purposes. You use the expression cost measures and cost effectiveness in the fact that Australia is very, very good. But does that mean that we've tended to drive down costs without building in capability for the, in this case, catastrophe, if if the unexpected might well be it? Are we too focused? And you and I were both at a conference in Singapore last year where we talked about a focus that is only on making money loses the concept of community benefit. And in this case, might we be losing the value of an essential service because we have driven down costs that make it operate effectively, but only when everything is going well? Well, that is a, that's a fairly loaded question. And yes, I, I think changing away from just a pure focus on cost efficiency to a more triple bottom line uh, focused on things like quality and 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 other aspects that that are really important in a way where in this country most of the public transport is provided by the private sector under contract to government. There are other areas there too, isn't it? It's been a concern that governments have tended to cut down on the skills, the broader skills, the particular technical skills of the people that they're employing. And perhaps even into academia as well, the notion that you research something not because you have a short-term benefit from it, a financial benefit, but that it may have long-term implications. Do you think that we may well see from governments a more enlightened view about what they need to sustain in case things change? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. I mean, this coronavirus, COVID-19, I mean, it's caught a lot of um, Western countries very much off guard. Who would have thought that we'd be at this stage, even just one week, one and a half weeks, weeks ago? We thought it was confined to, to China, but it's, uh, it's spread everywhere. Um, in many cases, Western countries are far less adept at at, uh, at dealing with this than, than Asia and even Africa, who, who uh, have to be on the, on the front foot all, all the time. So I certainly hope so. I certainly hope there can be a broader focus on, on, on some of those aspects that, that, that you've just talked about. Yeah, that's been lovely and uh, very helpful and uh, some very detailed analysis. It's a great example, I think, of where academia can provide a good understanding and compilation of information. And I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, stay safe and healthy, David, and to all your listeners as well. And that's Yao Wong from the Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies at Sydney University, not suggesting that uh, you shouldn't 
try and isolate and not travel, and certainly that you should keep everything else going. But there is, in parallel with that, things that the suppliers of services are doing to say that if it is absolutely essential, then we can try and do it in as safe a manner as possible. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. How the transport industry helps cope with the coronavirus is often seen as very one-dimensional steps. Travel less, keep your distance. But there are many factors that interplay in the services we provide and the way the public uses them. It might seem simple until there is a catastrophe. Wendy Adam has a long career in transport planning and management and has given much to the industry, including being the branch presidents in New South Wales and Queensland for the Australian Institute of Transport Planning and Management. Wendy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. Good to talk. There are some benefits too. Something like the Opal card, was it considered how good that might be if we had a pandemic situation? Well, it it never was. Of course, it was we were looking at how much it would potentially improve the passenger's experience by not having to get change or or worry about tickets. But uh, it's had quite a good and healthy impact because by not handling change, which is a vector for disease and currency, um, and the fact that basically only the passenger needs to hold the card. There's no interplay possible. It's probably uh, kept public transport a lot safer than it would have been otherwise. Getting down to even some details where it may make us look at the overall situation, you have a feeling about queuing. That's right. Um, if we need to take more space and People may discover as they uh, they queue at a, at a socially distance appropriate uh, intervals that actually it speeds the loading uh, in many ways. And on trains, you know, one of the the interesting thing is just trying to get people to to go along platforms so that all the carriages have a, a more even load in them rather than just the the ones near the the uh, middle. Of platforms or or where major escalators come down in the CBD, Um, this may uh, actually assist operations and perhaps there'll be some legacy learnings from uh, that sort of behaviour as we go through. The freight industry, do you think that we will see changes? There certainly are calls for changes. What sort of changes might happen? I know. Well, I, of course, we've all been watching the uh, the logistics change to supermarkets with great interest. And I, I was reading how people were actually following uh, delivery trucks to um, to supermarkets to get the the uh, toilet paper and hand sanitizer that they needed. Um, but it was interesting that I did hear our premier in New South Wales say. That they were going to take off the restrictions that many loading bays face um, in urban areas, 
mainly to protect nearby residents from from noise, they were going to lift those. And that was always something that the logistics operators said to the road network is that we would do a lot more out of our deliveries if it were possible. But of course, a lot of the amenity restrictions on shopping centers were imposing inefficiencies on the transit network, if you like. Um, and if those get lifted, it will be interesting to, to see if uh, the logistics companies really take them uh, to heart. But I think then that the coronavirus or any catastrophe has helped us go back to not just justifying something because a few, you know, a lot of people might get on it, but saying, well, what does it really serve the whole need? Mm-hmm. That we too often just measure from a supply side or supply situations, but not necessarily from understanding the complexity of the demand side. And that what this is doing is making us be more detailed in our understanding of the variety and the complexities of demand, rather than assuming everyone just turns up at a bus stop and goes. How much do we need to try and improve our understanding of those complexities? I think it it will help a lot of, of that. And of course, it also helps with... I've heard people and you know with a certain amount of panic and precautionary principle saying we need to shut this down we need to do this because I don't need this service but getting the pushback and hearing you know well this is why this is still important to people and and getting people to defend and say no we can do this better um, teaches us all a lot of lessons Um, and that sort of re-examination I hope people will take forward because some of what we learn will be uh, very instructive for uh, better operations in the future, I believe. You see, a private company in normal conditions can't operate when it's insolvent, but a government can subsidise a service for a long-term benefit. Christchurch found that and I'm not saying we're as private or government, they certainly found that the shift away from trips to the city totally undermined public transport services in, in terms of revenue from fares. So that undermined the long-term potential, whereas the government may be able to wear that loss either both in the short term or even it's subsidised anyway, it's wearing a loss for a broader public issue. So it might wear a bigger loss in a catastrophe in order to maintain the long-term benefit. Yes, it certainly could do that. And, of course, that's exactly, you know, when we talk about calling in the National uh, Guard or or getting some of the, um, uh, the Army to do the logistics that's exactly the same kind of thing. We can use our our government-owned assets that way. And, um, you know, with tongue-in-cheek, I, I saw uh, the Sydney Morning Herald article on the weekend from Jacqueline Maley saying, you know, well, we're all socialists now, i.e. we can we're using our resources for the social good, but that is exactly what they're for. Wendy... I love the conversation. I really appreciate that. It helps us, I think, uh, expand wonderfully into 
a more complete idea of what we might be able to do. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you, David. And uh, let's hope we all take as many learning opportunities <laughs> as we can from this very extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. I wish I had have said that. Oh, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David. Thanks very much. Good to talk to you. And that's Wendy Adam, who has had a long career in transport planning and management and given much to the industry and in a very thoughtful way, not just in terms of short-term solutions, but a long-term understanding. You're listening to Overdrive. And catching up with Brian Smith. Uh, Brian, at the leading up to the last federal election, uh, there was much talk about a target of a number of electric cars, of which the answer from some sections of the political environment was, no, that will get rid of the weekend trip because utes can't be electric. <laughs> a somewhat limited response, narrow-minded, comes to mind. Nonsense comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great one-liner. A great gotcha fact. Well, fact is the wrong word, but a gotcha comment. Well, that removes any discussion about it, whatever. The trouble is that we are not allowing us to consider how much of a car we need, but how much we can try and duplicate where we are now, which is big is beautiful. Hummer pickup is building a car, General Motors through GMC, to be more specific. They recently released information about their Hummer EV pickup truck. Let's say, without doubt, it is huge. And we, we've actually done a story also on the Nicola Badger pickup truck, which will be both be a hybrid in that it'll be a battery-powered electric and a hydrogen fuel cell-powered electric with a view, of course, to making it bigger. Is this a dilemma, Brian? Are we missing the point? Yes, David, yes. I, I, this, I knew this was, would happen. I, we, I think we discussed this a, a few weeks ago about... Um, this problem that, uh, uh, you know, there's an assumption that, that being electric is good and, and therefore if it's an electric vehicle, you can forgive a bunch of other awful factors, right? So so we talked at one point, I think, about the rise of American pickup trucks and utes that are incredibly tall at the bonnet and tall enough to obscure the view of adults and children for a long way uh, in front and that um, are designed in such a way that anyone hit by them goes under the vehicle rather than more safely onto the bonnet. So Hummer's uh, EV pickup truck is this epitome of um, you know, we've got a very obnoxious vehicle, but because it's electric, maybe it's a little less obnoxious. And, and you know, you can, you can, in a sense, be forgiven for buying this car now because it's electric. I suspect um, Tesla has an element of that. In that uh, you know they they're kind of a luxury vehicle. They don't have a big SUV style vehicle, but they have what looks like a luxury car with immense amounts of power. But it's okay because it's electric. It's good in some way. And I think the Badger is the same sort of thing. It's it's uh, everything that's wrong about gigantic American Utes. Um, but you know because it's um, it's electric. Look, maybe it's okay for you to buy it. I think you use the words that it might be a little bit better, okay? I think it's total justification yes. for this excess. And, and Tesla, of course, have proposed a ute, uh, which is as, as ugly as sin. Oh, yes, that ridiculous thing. Yes. 
So it, it's not as if that they're, they're not trying to get into that market, which is in many ways a, a perversion in terms of a consideration of working in a community and that you don't really need such a huge truck such as this. And you're right, brand it as being... Well, it's like putting the word natural on a, on a food product. <laughs> menthol cigarettes, <laughs> Menthol cigarettes, yes. That fresh, clean taste. <laughs> yeah, well, you go way back, wasn't it? Oh, gee, I heard a lovely broadcast the other day about the idea of change and bringing about, you know, um, um, not so much revolution, but certainly change. Um, uh, in They were saying that, of course, they played an ad from Coca-Cola, which began with, I want to live in a world of love and sharing and what have you, and I'll have a Coca-Cola, Yeah. <laughs> well, look, this, this Hummer, David, is you go, okay, it's electric, then it's not using uh, fossil fuels, and it's, it's not pumping out exhaust gases that are, are going to kill us and lead from the petrol. No, this, this is the focus, 1,000 horsepower, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds. So you can be an awful person in this vehicle, take up an immense amount of space, and the incredible weight and the, and the, the greenhouse gases used in, in building this damn thing, but it's not about, you know, feeling better about the pollution. It's that, you know, this electric thing has incredible torque, it's 11,500 pound feet of torque. So it's it's almost you know, building on the worst parts of the reasons that you would buy the Hummer. And as in the previous week, we talked about the unpleasant social uh, and, and uh, character traits of people who, who buy expensive cars. This is the car for the unpleasant person enormous amounts of uh, uh, talk to it and as you say three seconds to be able to go from naught to a hundred surely that that's got an absurdity yeah and and it's, it just just gives the owner a chance to rub this in the face of people who say why do you own this vehicle it's an awful vehicle but it's electric you know they can rub that in their face <laughs> i just did a quick calculation i think that's 1500 uh, 1,560 newton metres, is that right? Yeah, it's just gigantic. It's, it's some huge, huge sign. Absolutely right. One brand name, we'll call it natural, we'll call it healthy, we'll call it whatever you like, and therefore everyone's got to do it. Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Wendy Adam, Yale Wong and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.